Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Andrea. Hey, good morning, Alison. Afternoon, Alison. Yeah, almost good evening. We're an hour later today because um, someone next to me is building a new bathroom. So um, they've all gone home now for their supper and it's nice and quiet here. So it's it's, it's kind of evening. It's very trendy to work on your building. (laughs) Yeah. It's like they really like to work on it. (laughs) Yeah, it seems that... um, Apartments in, it's strange, but apartments in Italy seem to pass sound through their walls in a way that I've never experienced. Uh, having said that, I didn't grow up in a flat in the UK. You know, I, I've always lived in houses there, so maybe it's just a flat thing. But you're right, it's, it's very popular to do DIY around where I live, <laughs> which is hard when yep. you're trying to record something, but you're flexible, yep. which I'm pleased about. So well, do they know there's a famous recording artist next door? Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So hello. Yes. Um, I wanted to start off this episode, which is very exciting. I'm hoping that we might finish before bedtime because I might go on <laughs> somewhat in this episode. <laughs> I wanted to start by welcoming our new um, patron, who is Rebecca, who is over in Australia. And um, she's just so full of enthusiasm. And very excited about all the things we do. And I'm really happy to see her um, supporting us. So thank you, Rebecca, and welcome. Thank welcome. you, Rebecca. Yeah. And um, oh, sorry. Oh, are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> I made it. I made it through. <laughs> I was so excited um, about Rebecca that I mm, whacked my head on my microphone. Oh, exactly. I thought that um, also we a few episodes ago, we read one of our reviews and then I completely forgot about it even though there's more reviews. And I thought, oh, hang on a minute. We haven't read a review for a while. So I'm going to yeah. read another review from our iTunes account. So if you like the podcast, you can go into iTunes and leave us a review. There are details on how to do that in every um, show note of every episode. So it's it's three or four clicks, I think. But you can um, let us know how much you enjoy what we're doing. So this review... We definitely um, freak out over the reviews. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we love them. This review is by someone called Agent Dinozo. And um, that person says, I typed in Ancestral Cooking and found this podcast and I love it. Great information delivered in a non-intimidating way. It does feel like you're hanging out with some international besties. Oh, that's, oh, I that's love nice. it. I like that. That's so cool. Well, we love having you. Yeah. Denozo? Denozo. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's kind of, kind of a code name, I think, which is nice. And also, um, we've got quite a lot of nice things to say before we get on to our juicy topic today. Um, I wanted to talk about the Ancestral Kitchen Challenge that we launched in our bonus episode that yes. went out a few episodes ago. Because I've had a lot of emails from people in my inbox telling me that they're excited about it and that they've printed off the document and they've started going. And I've been talking to a lady called Pam who lives in Ontario, Ontario in Canada. And 
I wanted to read out what she's been up to. She sent me a picture of some cavass. Oh and of some gin that she's making. So she said, That's I started epic. my 2022 challenge with Ukrainian crevasse made from my parents' garden beetroots. I added a big mm. chunk of organic ginger in the second ferment. Ooh. I've got a batch of blueberry lemon kombucha almost ready and have started a batch of gin. Is that how you pronounce it, gin? I don't I know. That's that how right. I pronounce it. Okay. And she says, I am just using 50% honey for this first batch to make sure that my scoby can tolerate the change so from mm. obviously from the kombucha in sugar to the honey in the gin um mm. it's looking great so far i've also got some beetroot and kohlrabi lacto fermenting this weekend so i'm i'm super excited she says I've, i'm going to print off the pdf and i'm going to keep adding to it thank you Yay. for the inspiration guidance and fun which is exactly what we wanted really when we came up with the idea yeah. of the challenge when you came up with the idea that people would you know be inspired by it and help fire their creativity and um and certainly, certain, some people have started and are sharing the results with me. So thank you. Yes, and if I you're, I, could, I wish I could drink that. That sounds so good. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? Beets and the ginger. Man, that sounds yeah. so refreshing right now. And out of parents' beets as well, you know, like mm -hmm. like zero kind of um, miles. That's yeah. that's really nice as well yeah. to make something from a friend's garden or a family member's mm -hmm. garden. It makes it extra special, I think. Yeah. So um, we mentioned. Yeah. We've mm. mentioned before on here. Um, um, Rebecca, who has an Instagram called a humble place and she posts mm. about art and things like that. Um, you know, Charlotte mm. Mason style education things. And she posted our challenge in her stories. Ah. Actually a couple of people have, I, I know Lexi mm. did too. And she said, she's also going to print it out. Um, she's the one, Allison, do you remember she put together that short little free printable curriculum for if you want to do the ah, yeah. the kids the children's nourishing traditions book yeah. for yeah. your you know handicraft school um so she put that out so yeah people should definitely That's hop nice. over and check it out and she's doing a reading about artists book challenge oh no can you Ooh. hear my kids yes a little bit yeah they're upstairs at the table eating oatmeal supposedly but also fighting <laughs> 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 sorry Speaking of children, um, mm. yeah. So anyway, so she's got all kinds of cool stuff on her page too. Well, it's nice of her to share the challenge as well. Um, I know that several other people have as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, if, you, if you're inspired, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. If you're inspired to do something, then by all means, go ahead. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, let us know if you can, because it was just awesome to receive that picture and see these things fermenting on Pam's yeah, side. So it just inspiring. was wonderful. So, have you had um, some food this morning, Andrea? I did, thankfully. Um, okay. All right. So, I did eat breakfast. Actually, mm -hmm. it was so delicious. Um, so, I heated some chicken bone broth, mm. and then I got some sausage yesterday, like just ground bulk. I pinched off little teeny tiny balls of the sausage and dropped it into the hot broth, and then I Ooh. cracked in some eggs to poach and then a little salt then I heated a <laughs> it was a variation of pizza <laughs> hey. I heated a tortilla and then um I don't know why I started doing this but it's like delicious 
you have to really, really drain them. But I took a slotted spoon and scooped out the meat and the eggs and put them in the tortilla. Mm-hmm. And then I have, oh my gosh, I have this really delicious goat cheese um, that my friend in Virginia made. And when she flew out here to visit me, she brought bags of it frozen. And I found one in my freezer. I didn't know I had any left. So Yay. I've been, it's so good. Oh my gosh. I've had so many different goat cheeses, but literally none compares to this. Thank you, Becky. So and it I freezes okay, does it? Oh my gosh. Yes. Freezes yeah. perfect. Thaw's perfect. I've yeah. never frozen cheese at all. Yeah. It's like, um, it's a soft cheese, like um, kind of crumbly, sort of like ricotta a little bit, but mm-hmm. not so squeaky. If you know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's so good. So I rolled all that up in the tortilla. Mm. Um, and then the broth I'll have mm. later because I eat pretty early in the morning. And mm. then um, like I counted one time if I like I, w- I w- went to eat lunch at noon and I was like, why am I so hungry? And I counted. I was like, oh, breakfast was seven hours ago. No wonder I'm yeah. hungry. <laughs> It's a yeah. long chunk of time. So having the broth left over from cooking breakfast and it's kind of a little bit like egg drop, you know, with a little bit of swirls mm. of egg white in it. I just put it in a tumbler and then drink it after chores or something. It's perfect. And do you have that so, cold or do you heat it up? I like it hot. I like it hot. Yeah, me too. I prefer yeah. broth hot. Yeah. That sounds delicious. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you have a full um, tummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was good. Yeah. That, that will literally keep me going for hours. Um, and then, um, yeah, then I can have the broth after, you know, chores and, and making the kids breakfast and everything like that. And then, and then I'm good to lunch. So did you eat uh, lunch before we got on? Well, actually I ate supper. I ate my third meal. <laughs> I think this is like a first on the podcast because yeah, I've never usually, is. usually I'm quite a long way away from lunch and haven't yet made dinner um, or supper, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah. because we were an hour later and I was hungry and I thought, oh, mm-hmm. we're probably going to go on quite a bit today and I'm going to be really hungry yeah. by the time we finish. So I was thinking I that to, this morning. I was like, Alison's not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I wouldn't have made it. Um, <laughs> because I had my breakfast really early this morning like you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I managed to pull something together literally about 25 minutes before I came wow. down and, and we hit the record. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was because it was all stuff that was already <laughs> cooked. So I had some lentils. Well, I love it. Um, which we cooked after lunch, so they were still warm. And mm. I didn't have any onions in the house, so I usually put onions in. But instead, I bloomed some spices, nigella seeds, cumin, turmeric, and ginger in some oil. And then I added some garlic, and I put the lentils in, and I stirred them around. And then we had some wine left over. We, I think I said a few episodes ago, I don't know if it was talking to you on, or on a real podcast, um, mm. that we got some wine as a kind of a gift from shopping at our local cooperative that's kind of wine growers and vegetable growers all selling together in one particular place. You have a card there yeah. and they stamp it. And then we got three bottles of wine, which we were just not expecting at all. And we don't really drink it. So I've been using it in cooking. So I put mm. some of the wine in with the lentils, some of the red wine, and then some water and cooked it for about two hours. So I had some of those, delicious. And I had mm-hmm. a slice of raw pecorino, which was local with it as well. Um, and a slice of our lectin-free sourdough that I make, which is millet and sorghum, mostly sorghum with a little bit of millet. 
and linseed in it. Um, I had a slice of that with butter on the top. And then I put the lentils mm. on top of that so the butter all melted. And then I had some carrot sticks on the side and some lemon juice, nice. a bit of lemon juice as well. It was delicious. And, and I'm usually, yeah, my stomach's usually relatively empty recording, but I'm actually really nicely full. I've got a little glass of water kefir in front of me, <laughs> which is flavoured with kiwi because kiwis are grown locally here and um, are around now, kiwi fruit. So, um, what, what did yeah. you say it was flavoured with? It's flavoured with kiwis. Oh, kiwi. Yeah, kiwi. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, kiwis grow now yeah. around here in some local grow. We got them at that mm -hmm. cooperative. So, um, yeah. so, yeah, I'm nicely Everybody's, fed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. Ready to go. So when you <laughs> said you bloomed the nigella seeds, which I know you yeah. love those, um, I didn't realize, I never thought about doing that. What? How does their mm. flavor change when you do that? I actually don't know whether I haven't done a taste test of the same mm. dish with unbloomed nigella seeds in and bloomed nigella seeds in. But I remember reading and hearing podcasts in the past about how much spices improve if you bloom them, um, if you warm them up and allow their flavours to kind of mix in and mix into the oil. Um, so I, whenever I have time, I always do it. And I love the results. So I kind of just think, well... I don't want to go back to just putting them in yeah. flat. They just seem to have a nicer flavour. But I don't know the technicalities of it, unfortunately. Oh, so I can't, I, can't, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't wow you with my knowledge. I just know that I like it. Um, <laughs> you are, you've um, already wowed me, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was nice. Okay, well, we, okay. we should probably take a bite into what we're um, talking about today, which is pizza. Um, yes, please, and thank you. <laughs> I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, and I think a couple of months uh -huh. ago when I had um, some of my pizza dough cooked in a wood-fired oven here, it just oh kind of gosh. spurred me on more to want to, to yeah. talk about pizza and dedicate an episode to it. Um, yeah. So I've got um, quite a lot to talk about. We've got quite a lot to talk about, and uh, hopefully by the end of it we'll have shared some of the history but also a lot of the practicalities with pizza that's the kind of intention yeah yeah so you ready <laughs> I'm ready okay so the first thing I thought of was trying to define pizza and basically it, it's a flatbread with stuff on the top and I think it comes from the Greek word pizza originally the etymology and it is so loved I mean just I don't know anyone who doesn't like pizza and I, I tried to think, well, why, why is it so good? You know, why does everyone love pizza? And I think a lot of it is the fact that it's bread and it's hot. Because you know what it's like when you've got bread out of the oven and oh it's gosh. crusty and hot. You, you want to eat it just there and then. And you think, oh, I shouldn't really. Yeah. I should let it carry on cooking. Whereas with pizza, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I can eat it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I think that's part of the joy for me, the fact that it's crusty and hot and bread. Yeah. How about you? What what do you think is so so good about pizza? Do you love it just as much I as I do? I think you do. I, I think it's definitely that there's the bread. I think it's also because it's so versatile. So you, nobody says, oh, I don't like pizza because I don't like peppers. They just get pizza without peppers. You yeah. know what I mean? They get what yeah. they like. Yeah, yeah, flat, exactly. Flat bread is, there's, I, I can't think of, any, I mean, every continent has 
variations and versions of a flatbread. It seems to be pretty core to humanity. Like flatbread is just a thing we've all had in our DNA, no matter where in the world you come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's something really special about putting ingredients on top of a bread and letting the juices from those ingredients kind of oh soak into the bread. Stop it, Alison. <laughs> and that's, the, that's part of the joy. And, and in, in pizza yeah. particularly, you get the contrast between the, the crunchy bits that don't have the um, sauce on and underneath, and then the softer bits that have all the juice from the toppings on. It's just, yeah, I don't have I words when- to describe when you run into someone who says they don't like pizza, it's usually someone whose primary or only exposure is fast food pizza, which mm. of course they don't like, yeah, that totally makes sense. There's a brand over here. Like, I don't know mm. how else to call it other than like factory pizza that has little tiny outlets all over the place. And it's their slogan is hot and ready. Um, and okay. everybody jokes that like, Oh, they make the pizza out of the cardboard boxes and stuff like that. But um I saw this meme on Facebook that was like, is it good though? And, and the, the guy is like, I said hot and ready. I didn't say good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's, um, that's an interesting kind of segue onto, um, the history of pizza. If it's all right with you, I'm just going to kind of blast you with some of the history and the research that I've done. This is what I'm here for, Alison. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So where do I start? So the hot and ready thing. So, um, I'll, I shall kind of seamlessly flow back to the hot and ready in a minute so pizza really is now cooked is cooked everywhere and and flatbreads with toppings have been cooked everywhere like you were saying but Italy has just become so famous for pizza I mean when you think of pizza you think of Italy um but it is I think most people who eat pizza nowadays would be completely astounded to realize that really throughout Italy pizza was not eaten until the 70s and the 80s. So if you'd gone anywhere, like not Naples, where it originated from, but if you'd gone anywhere outside of Naples before the 70s, you know, in the 60s and the 50s, people did not know the pizza as we know pizza now. They did not eat it. It was not part of their menu. And the book that I'm reading um, by Karima um, Noki that we've talked about quite a lot, has so many women in it saying, I didn't eat pizza until the 80s. My son took me to a restaurant. I didn't eat pizza until 20 years wow. ago to, to kind of back that up. These are women in their 90s. So pizza was a, was a street food initially from Naples. Um, and Naples, 300 years ago in the, in the 1700s, was really a very um, poor area. It, it, parts of it still are now. So a lot of people lived, many, 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 many people to a room and they didn't have ovens. And pizza started there as a, basically a street food. You go, it's out there, it's hot and you can eat it and it tastes good. And the fact that there weren't ovens at home, people didn't eat hot food like we eat hot food now because they didn't have ovens to cook it in. And uh, so that was literally just in Naples around the 1700s. What's interesting is that I have a... I have a cookbook here by um, Pellegrino Artusi, and he wrote that cookbook after the Risorgimento in Italy, which was in the late 1800s he wrote the book. And mm-hmm. so this is a long time after it was a street food in Naples, you know, a couple of hundred years. And you look up pizza in there, and there are three recipes, and all of them are sweet. 
All of them have sugar in. Wow. All of them have eggs wow. in. And so the word pizza has been used in the past before that, but it meant like a patisserie, you know, a kind of a cakey thing that was sweet with almonds wow. and sugar and that kind of thing. And well, I'm okay, then I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's another type of pizza, isn't it? So what happened with this, to take this Neapolitan street food from what it was to the incredible global phenomenon that it is now, is that lots of people um, left Italy and went to America. As you know, there were lots of immigrants that went from Italy, the south of Italy particularly, and went to places like New York. And mm -hmm. they took... Mm -hmm that recipe from Naples with them. And it became a thing in and of itself in the States. Mm. So the first pizza restaurant in um, the States was in New York. It was called Lombardi's. And it was someone who took that yeah. recipe from Naples and made something of it. And then wow. what has happened since then is that throughout America, where Italians have lived, they have made pizza and they have recreated it. And then it became just a, a huge phenomenon throughout America. And then coming into this um, last century and the, the 70s and the 80s, two things happened. This is um, mainly thanks to, to Kareem Anoki that I've learned a lot of this. The two things that happened were a lot of the Americans came back to Italy as tourists wanting to eat this pizza in situ. And a lot of the people oh. from southern Italy yeah. went to other parts of Italy for work because the mm -hmm. um, the economy was booming in, in the late 60s and, and 70s. And so people moved from the south up to the north to get work and they moved around. Mm -hmm. And because the economy was booming and there was a, a new kind of a middle class that didn't exist in Italy before then, they wanted to eat out. They wanted to try different things. And so wow. little pizza restaurants started opening to cater to not only the tourists who were expecting it, but this kind of middle class who suddenly wanted to eat out because eating out didn't really happen before then. And so people could go out and get this new thing called pizza. And then because of the just tremendous growth of tourism and the tremendous growth of economic freedom compared to what we had before the world wars, pizza has just become this massive global phenomenon. And now it's all over Italy and, um, you know, you can get it anywhere, but it, it, wow. it is something that has been created out of kind of the way the world has changed in the last mm -hmm. 80 years. Not, it was just a street food in one place until, until then. And it's been kind of co-created with, with America. It's kind of a global co-creation of, of a food. And I just think it's absolutely fascinating because I ate, I ate pizza for many, many years and I, I just mm -hmm. thought it was a traditional Italian food that everyone in Italy had eaten. And, and yet... No, not really until 1970, 1980, which is quite amazing, don't you think? Seriously. So I guess, like, yeah, you the, the Romans didn't eat pizza, you know? You never see it mm. in the mosaics or whatever, whatever, yeah. the pictures of them eating those feasts, you know? They've always got, like, these weird roasted birds and stuff and gates. Yeah. But, yeah, there's no sign of pizza. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. So that, that also... Um, that narrative you just gave us touches on a big question in the food industry that everybody has their opinion on, which is, do the chefs shape mm. our taste or do the, does the mm. populace shape 
the chefs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you think know, more like, and more the, as we go on, the chefs shape our taste. And it's interesting because mm. Jilly Smith has a book called Taste and the TV Chef, where she uh-huh. talks oh, about yeah, um, you talked how, about that. yeah, how. Um, I haven't read it yet and it's on my list where she's talking about, <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, how yeah, just yeah. so important TV chefs have been in moulding yeah. what, we, what we want to eat and what's fashionable. And but they wouldn't that, even have the pizza yeah. to be moulding if step back yeah. like, like a decade before and you said, you know, the tourists came back or people yeah. moved for work and they wanted that portable food, you know, kind of like the pace what did you call those things pasties pasties the <laughs> pasties yeah and cornish cornish pasties yeah, yeah. um you know it's kind of like that in a way so yeah yeah that's I so agree. interesting so yeah hmm. i love it and um i yeah i find that absolutely fascinating and the other thing that is is interesting about pizza in italy is that now there were other similar types of food in other areas before then. So, you know, there've always been flatbreads, like you said, they have been all over the world. Right. Um, there's the focaccia, which is not from Naples. I think that's from Liguria originally. Um, oh. And Tuscany has its own version of the focaccia called the schiacciata. There's calzone. Schiacciata. There's very okay. various different um, kind of takes on flatbreads and pizzas. And each hmm. of them is is particularly, is unique to a particular area. You know, that's how Italian cuisine is so um, regional. It's so mm. difficult to say that there's an Italian cuisine because it's not. It's right, a, it's right. A, historically, it's a big group of regions and each one had its own food. Yeah. It's like when people say African cuisine, like what, like yeah. there's, do you know how many countries are? <laughs> like, it's so different. And then within each country, you know, the different tribes and, and how the yeah. different takes on things, you know, like, like, well, what is Kenyan food? Well, you know, the, the, the Luya tribes really into using lots and lots of chicken. The Maasai tribes really into mm-hmm. using lots and lots of like, you know, blood and milk and yeah. because it's just totally different within one little area. Um, yeah. Okay. Some flatbreads that I thought of outside of mm-hmm. Italy, um, the Tef yeah. pancakes, do those have a real name am i drawing a blank on their real name like oh, that's a really good question i don't know i'm not going to go and look that up later. call it something okay um chapati there's like a bazillion yeah. different versions of that yeah. across india and africa um non tortillas mm-hmm. um there's yeah, tortilla. there's different tribes out here with a sort of a um traditional flatbread that gets fried like fry mm-hmm. bread, um, matzo, uh, yeah. lavash. Yeah. yeah, there's just so many different kinds. And some of them are served with, um, you know, stuff piled on top. Some of them are served as, you know, like you said, uh, ovens weren't as common. So mm. your food would tend to be cooked in liquid over a fire. So then you need to mop it up somehow. Because mm. um, also spoons are more recent. <laughs> yeah. Um, introduction to the kitchen okay so keep going um what about the different yeah so there's different styles in the U.S. as well yeah and I don't know how many of those maybe you've eaten because there's the New York style which Mm -hmm. is very thin a bit like the Neapolitan Mm -hmm. style then there's the Chicago style which is deep dish much Mm -hmm. um much 
thicker, much deeper. And then Detroit has its own style. There's a Californian style. So every place that they've been taken yeah. in the States, people have played with them, maybe individual chefs and something caught on. And so there, there are so many ways to interpret pizza these days. And mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful because it's, you know, there's, there's creative license there to make yeah. it the way you like it and yeah. do what you want with it. it. There's no, it has to be this way. Um, and, and I love that type of food, you know? <laughs> Yeah, they're not even the same thing. Like I've had Chicago deep dish in Chicago and New York and New mm -hmm. York and and it's not even like you wouldn't recognize the two. Um and they're both wow. great, you know, on their own. <laughs> yeah. Um but the another thing that's gotten really popular with the hipster scene on the rise mm -hmm. in the last 10 years or so is the individual pizzas, the smaller pizzas. So yeah. um small pizzas where like you go and they're you kind of say I want this on it and this on it or whatever and they put it right in the oven in front of you those okay. have gotten really popular um they even have those in like grocery stores and stuff sometimes so um, how big is the pizza is it enough just for you to have like two slice kind of equivalent oh or? I mean realistically it's way more than one person can eat but okay um it's just a smaller than a big one size so um, when we were on the farm in Virginia, it was really glorious because every Saturday morning we had a market on the farm and mm. this awesome, awesome couple who later ended up opening a pizza restaurant in town, um, they would bring out, he had a custom built trailer that was a wood fired oven on the back oh, of his nice. car. So, yeah. So he'd come out there early while we were like still washing eggs and stuff and he'd fire it up and he'd have coolers full of the dough that he had made that fermented, um, for like two days or something. And then, um, people would just come and tell him what they wanted and he would take like crates of our eggs and, you know, he'd sprinkle on pieces of bacon and crack an egg on top, put it in and mm. let it fry and make all these amazing breakfast pizzas and wow. all the ingredients on the top just came from like, we would go over and grab a handful of basil or whatever. So it was, mm. it was pretty epic. Um, those there is something, some I mean, I, I know I said that it's a, it's a creative license, but there is very definitely a big um, divide between the worst pizzas and the best pizzas. I remember <laughs> being very, very young and I worked in a supermarket um, in the evenings when I was at um, school okay. to get some extra money and I remember them selling kind of pre I think partially baked pizza bottoms in um, plastic wrap in the oh my gosh yeah, section and then you could buy your own <laughs> toppings or I often mm -hmm. remember buying frozen pizzas and I mean they, they were okay food it's some bread and it, it's some tomatoes and some cheese you know but compared to the pizzas that I'm eating now they are just incomparable. I mean, so although yeah. I say it can be whatever you want it to be, yeah, it can, but it depends mm -hmm. how how much you're used to. I think once you've had really good pizza, it's hard to go yeah. back, which is why a lot of people want to make pizza in their home because mm -hmm. they're like, I've had this such good pizza in a restaurant and I don't want to buy the stuff and that comes, you know, ready-made, mm -hmm. just put it in the oven anymore. I want to try and replicate that at home. And because they know it tastes a lot better when someone makes the dough and and cooks it in a way that is good for that dough to make it in that style. So, yeah, mm. there is a difference, I think. 
So, shall we move yeah. on to some making some practicalities and talk about making pizza then? <laughs> yeah, let's. That's what yeah. I know. That's what we all want to know. <laughs> so, um, I yeah, I can only share what I do really, which is I make my pizzas sourdough and I make them with mm-hmm. spelt, and I usually um, mix the starter up the night before that I want to make a pizza and then I leave it for 12 hours to to rise sometimes I use a rice starter sometimes I use, I use a spelt starter and then in the morning I will mix up the dough which I put um, spelt in sometimes it's whole grain sometimes it's a mix of whole grain and white and some salt and some olive oil and my starter and water and I say I do it most often Gable does it now he's kind of wanted to get in on the pizza rack so he's doing the mixing and then I will um, ferment it in a warm environment and stretch and fold it every hour-ish until lunchtime I tend to mix it quite early so it has probably a good four five hour ferment before we bake it up Um, oh yeah and it I love it with spelt I think it tastes wonderful Um, Mm -hmm. and I think some something that that people are scared of that I've noticed when when people are making pizza themselves out of their own dough is the actual shaping it. So once I've left it to ferment and it's getting really, really airy at that stage and it's quite elastic, um, I will uh, cover my um, chopping area with a lot of flour and then I will empty the dough onto that that layer of flour and then I will kind of do a mix of pushing it out with my fingertips from the center and spinning and then pushing and spinning and then pushing with my fingertips and sometimes I will take opposite ends of the dough and just stretch it a little bit then twist it and stretch it then twist it and stretch it and with some patience I'd say it takes a good five minutes to stretch out a normal size you know 12 I suppose a 12 inch pizzas Um, it is relatively easy if you're gentle and patient using those two ways to get a pizza that is um, thin enough that if you cook it in a way that is warm very hot oven it will crunch up and it will rise too because you've been gentle with it so that's that's how I do it I know other people use wheat and wheat's obviously more traditional than spelt but we don't use wheat in our house so that's that's why I do my spelt um, my mm-hmm. recipe for that, which has lots of pictures and other stuff in it, is on my website. So if anyone wants to try and replicate it, I know other people have and they've really liked it. It's there yes. to um, to check out. How about you? How do you do your dough in your house? Pretty similar. We mm. usually do a sourdough as well. And we use a combo of wheat and I'm excuse me i'm going to do 50 50 um so one thing that i like to do is just take one day and i make a whole bunch of batches of dough so like you said you mix it up and then you let it sit for five hours or whatever Mm. so what i'll do is i'll mix it up and then without any delay i put it right into a container and freeze it so then i'll freeze like yeah, I can freeze like 10 crusts or whatever. And each, mm. each batch will do two pizzas. Um, so then when I take that out, I usually just drop 
the, it's usually in a bag and I just drop it into like a container of water or something and let it thaw and just grab it at some point in the morning or whatever. And then whenever I'm ready to make, it can kind of sit, you know, until I'm ready to make the pizza. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a really good way to get, like you said, Gabriel is helping you. This is a great way. Pizza is a very forgiving dish. So if you want to get your kids involved young, um, you know, pay the price for the mess now. And, you know, Alice and I have, I have no doubt that you and I will be recording some point in the future and you'll be like, yeah, Gabe is upstairs making pizza and um, <laughs> making me a glass of beer. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you will reap the rewards. Oh, and he made me chocolate for mother's day, you know, <laughs> like, like you'll cash in, <laughs> but, but, you know, you put in the time with the little frustrating, like, you know, that's not how I would do it Yeah. <laughs> moments. Um, so what I do is I give the girls um, a batch of dough and they each just mm-hmm. get to shape it themselves, which okay. is where doing it in a rimmed dish can be helpful. So I told you I made pizza this past week just so yeah. that I could try doing it without the stone. <clears throat> we usually yeah. bake it on a stone mm-hmm. and I know you do too. I mm-hmm. love that. I highly recommend it, but I thought, you know, what's it like without doing it on the stone. So I just took out like a rimmed, uh, like a jelly roll pan mm-hmm. and I put a piece of parchment paper in it and then just let the girls just mash the dough until it filled the okay. whole pan, <laughs> which they did. And the crust was not tough or anything possibly because it was 50% or more einkorn, which doesn't have as much gluten in it. Um, mm-hmm. maybe if it had a lot of gluten, it would be tough. I don't know. But that's also another thought if somebody's making pizza crust and you're trying to roll it out and it just keeps snapping back to like smaller, your gluten mm. might need to rest for 10 minutes if it's like yeah, a high great, gluten pizza. Great advice. Um, and then, yeah, so just let it rest for a minute and then keep rolling it out. But do, do you put oil in yours or not? Um, in the, like when I'm mixing the dough? In the dough, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, you yeah. do as well. Okay. Um. I have also done like yeasted, like with oh, the okay. yeast, yeah. like a powder yeast. Um, that is fine. Also, I, I have <laughs> like digestive difficulties and so much heartburn when I eat that. So I prefer not to do that one, but mm. if you were like in a pinch or something, you could totally do that. Um, pizza is also such a great way to feed tons of people. I remember one time my mom and I just ended up, there's just for some reason, this impromptu family gathering that was going to be like within one hour and there was (laughs) going to be 20 of us at my house. So, um, I said, mom, just throw a bunch of things in a bag, whatever's in your cupboard. We'll see what we have when you get here. Mm -hmm. And I went straight home and I just mixed up like giant batches of pizza crust and I made mm. five huge pizzas. Wow. And um, my mom just brought jars of stuff and we just were like, what do we got here? Okay, we've got a little bit of cheese here. We got some olives here. Okay, here's the peppers. You know, everybody was so happy. They're like, this is the best meal ever. <laughs> That's another good reason to have that dough in the freezer, like you were talking mm-hmm. about. See, I've never done that. Yeah. I never, never kind of think of it, I think. But if you've got, you know, just two or three of those pizza doughs. Not only can you have a really kind of a quick meal that's special 
when you're busy, but you've also got something there if someone comes over and you want to make something exactly. that, that they'll enjoy. Yeah, yeah like you that. can make um, a little casserole for everybody, but if you need to feed double the people or more instantly, yeah. Um, my usual go-to is either take what I, you know, the meat organs, whatever I would have made for us for dinner and either add rice to it and turn it into burritos or mm -hmm. um, just put it on a pizza. Yeah. No, that sounds really nice. I've actually put heart on a pizza before talking about putting offal on a pizza. It was quite nice. We enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, now I was going to ask you a question about what you were doing. Ah, that was it. So do you then, you say you usually bake on a stone do you put your toppings on before you put it on the stone or do you put it on the stone and put your toppings on later? Because I think there are kind of graduations of who does what. And I wondered where, how, how you play it. Oh yeah. I didn't know that there's, I, yeah, I don't know how people usually do it. I don't have a peel. So, mm. um, and I guess I could use like a flat cookie sheet as mm. a peel. I didn't think about that, but usually what I do is, um, I have the stone in the oven while the oven is heating. So it'll get really, really hot. I take it out. Um, I, well, while it's heating, I'm rolling out my first crust mm -hmm. and then I take it out. I sprinkle some cornmeal on it mm -hmm. and then I lay my crust on it. Um, I, sometimes I do sauce. Sometimes I don't, um, mm -hmm. sometimes I do cheese. Sometimes I don't, you know, but I put whatever mm -hmm. toppings on and then I throw it back in the oven and then I start rolling out the next crust. Okay. So and, you're taking your stone out and putting mm -hmm, the, the crust mm -hmm. on it and working on it. When yeah. it's on the stone. Then, and yeah, exactly. Okay. Then when the stone comes out, I use like a dough scraper to loosen all the edges. And then I okay. slide it off onto like a cutting board or the, something like a rack or something to cut. Those stones got to be hot and really the heavy. You, you, yeah, very, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, very careful when you do that bit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's like 500 degrees or something. Yeah. I am. Um, so we do our slightly differently here in okay, that we've got a peel. Um, which is called oh, a pala. Nice. So we call it a pala. Um, and it's got a really long kind of wooden bit on it. And Rob's in charge of that. I, I don't have anything to do with that kind of the shunting. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> so I've got my pizza on the um, chopping board, which has got loads of flour underneath it. And I've floured the peel as well through a sieve. So everything's covered in flour. And then I work <laughs> on the... Um, I pick up the pizza. This is the hardest bit, I think, to do. And I'll, okay. I'll talk about how I graduated to it before. So I pick up the pizza and I, I'm trying to, I wish I could show people. I, I stretch out both, both my hands. So my fingers are pointing upwards and my thumbs are pointing down. And then I use my third finger on each hand and my thumb underneath the dough to try and cover as much of the dough as possible. And I quickly lift it and I put it onto the peel. And... Okay. Generally, that's relatively successful. Sometimes I have to sort of straighten out the edges a bit because it, <laughs> you know, moves around a lot. And then I top it. And as I'm topping it, Rob is holding the peel and he's jiggling it. So I'll kind of come across with something and then I'll move back to get something else. And he jiggles it while I'm not doing anything. And then I come back just to make sure it's not sticking to the peel. Yeah. Because we've yeah. had sticking to peel incidents <laughs> quite oh, a lot no. in the past and then the pizza stone's been in the oven heating up at 250 c that's european um centigrade i used to do it at 300 but then i bought a new pizza stone and they then the, the instructions for the pizza stone said 250 so we just put it down to 250 mm. and 
I open the oven door and he shunts the thing onto the pizza stone, which has been heating up in the oven for half an hour. And then we close the door really quickly. Um, the shelf is on the lowest possible pos way it is, you know, the, the bottom one. Mm -hmm. So the heat from the bottom can really go through the stone and make the bottom crispy. Um, yeah. We didn't always used to do it that way. We didn't always have a peel. And uh -huh. when we didn't have a peel, I found it really hard to get the pizza into the oven with the um, toppings on it. And I didn't want to put the toppings on after it was on the stone. This is quite convoluted. Um, so yes. what we used to do for a while, we just put the pizza in with nothing on it for a couple of minutes and then it would go oh. completely hard. And then we quickly take it out, put the toppings on and put it back in. And that worked really well. Wow. We did that um, when we first moved to Florence. The oven in the kitchen at the house we were renting had an integral pizza stone. I've never seen it before what? in my life. It's a, it was quite what? a posh flat that um, we stayed in for just a little while. And it was an Italian oven. And on the bottom, the heating element was covered with the usual metal, like, you know, it is in every oven. But the metal had a detachable circular kind of lid to it. And so you take that circular lid off and replace it with the pizza stone that came with the oven. So there was this pizza stone ready. So wow. that was actually quite hard to get in and out of the oven. You couldn't do it because it was it sort of sunk in to the floor uh -huh. of the oven. So that's when that was a time when I just I couldn't get the pizza from the um, from the work surface into the oven, and I couldn't get the stone out. So we did that little trick of putting it in for a couple of minutes and that works really well I mean seriously the pizza was was lovely so uh -huh. I don't want anyone to especially if you haven't got a peel I don't want anyone mm -hmm. to kind of be like oh I can't get all these toppings on and get it in there just put it in there you know with nothing on it and take it off two minutes yeah. afterwards three minutes and, yeah. and put your toppings on so yeah that's how we work oh, so let's okay. talk about toppings <laughs> yes let's <laughs> because I think um Traditionally, again, we go back to traditional Italian. Traditionally, Italians don't put much on their pizza. And I think mm -mm. that um, people are, are surprised by that. I think maybe now in restaurants here, there are pizzas with lots of toppings because people expect lots of toppings and that's what they get. Um, but generally, pizzas, the star's the bread and then you've got some beautiful little things on the top. So when I started learning about pizza and, and kind of seeing that I went from you know being someone who would pile toppings on her pizza to mm -hmm. someone who literally you know will put tomato sauce and, and a couple of things or because we don't have tomato sauce very much because it's uh, right. tomatoes are lectins have lectins in them and Gabriel's lectin sensitive most of our pizzas aren't tomato so I will just put lardo and rosemary on it or um, mm. some bacon that I've cured and a few onions and some olives. Um, I think if anyone looks at my Instagram, they don't really see many red pizzas in my pictures. And generally, you can see the dough of my pizzas. Um, but what? let's talk about toppings at your end as well, because you're, you're different from us and you eat tomatoes more than we do. So what do you do? Yeah, we... Our, ours is based on whatever we have. <laughs> we don't have like a specific pizza topping necessarily, but usually I think, oh, I've got this kind of meat. Or um, when Gary's parents come over for Christmas, they brought over some 
like charcuterie type things. And so they had left a bunch of different prosciuttos and things here. So that's, mm. I thought, oh, I'll make those into pizzas. Um, I asked on Instagram this morning, I yeah. actually said in my stories that I'm going to be talking about pizza with you today. And I asked people, what are their favorite toppings? So if you like, I'll read to you what yeah, please um, do. people said. Okay. Ali said goat cheese, artichokes. Hmm. Um, Becky said goat cheese, red onions, pepperoni, okay. fresh mozzarella, red bell peppers, garlic. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who made me the goat cheese that I had this morning. Ah. Actually, um, Tiffany said pesto, sausage, bacon, artichoke hearts, diced. Uh, how do I see the? Huh? I can't see the rest of everything. Um, oh, diced tomatoes. Yum. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Someone else said fresh greens or tomatoes with some kind of vinegar dressing. Also oh, hot sauce and cold pizza with barbecue sauce. Mm. <laughs> um, Veronica said everything. Um, <laughs> and Katie said, oh, this is funny. She said, um, prosciutto red onion, fresh rosemary, mozzarella cheese, and tomato sauce. I dream of this pizza. Oh. The first time I had it was at La Fiamma in Bellingham. Wow. Um, I've never been there. So I like, well, I love probably my, but my most favorite, just simple, simple pizza flatbread is pizza Bianco or whatever it's called. So mm-hmm. like you said, just some kind of oil and rosemary and like coarse salt. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's so good. Just like mm-hmm. on a dimple. Simple. Bread. Mm-hmm. That's more like and a focaccia. Then, I think we call that a focaccia here. Because focaccias generally yeah. have yeah. less toppings than pizzas yeah. do. And they, they've got Just those holes bread, in. Really. You pour all the oil yeah, like and all the hole goes in the oil. Mm, delicious. Mm-hmm. When we have that, it's with some kind of a stew sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then we cut it up Perfect. and then just sort of dip it and for pizza with like sauce and stuff. I really like. I think it's called like a margarita pizza, um, with mm-hmm. tomato sauce and basil and um, oh my word, mozzarella. What <laughs> mozzarella? Yeah, mm. <laughs> some yeah, kind of. That's cheese. a delicious one. Yeah, that's, that's a, a delicious one. one. The thing that I learned about mozzarella quite early in on putting it on pizza, I, we don't put mozzarella on pizza much because um, Gable's dairy sensitive, but also because I can't get raw mozzarella here at all. Um, so we don't really have it that much, but I do like it on pizza. What I found with mozzarella is that very often if you take it out and it's got the liquid on it, if you put it straight on the pizza, all that liquid then goes into your pizza when you're cooking it and you end up with a really soggy pizza. So if I put mozzarella, I always chop it and leave it for at least half an hour on a board and then all that water drains out and it's much, much better when you put it on the pizza because you don't get all all the liquid in your dough. So how do you make your tomato sauce? Do you buy it or do you make it? Um, well, so we usually get tomatoes and make, we just can a whole bunch of like tomato sauce. Mm. And then I don't can it usually with any herbs or anything in it, but then when I open up, so you can use any canned tomato sauce. There's some pretty decent organic brands available here, um, that, that we have used, Mm -hmm. um, like bio nature or something like that. That's a really good brand. You can get it on the Azure 
drops, but, um, mm-hmm. anyway, so we just take tomato sauce and, or chopped tomatoes. I don't know. Either one doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And then I'll mix in some salt and I just use the essential oils to flavor it because oh, my kids okay. don't like, if they see the flecks of the herbs, they're like, is that spicy? So <laughs> I do like <laughs> one drop of basil, one drop of oregano, you know, just one, whatever I feel like mix it in. And I got so many compliments on it. I think because it tastes like I marinated it with herbs for a really long time and like strained yeah. it or something, but yeah. it's so good. It has just a really potent sort of gardeny flavor. Pour that over my, well, I usually, after I put my crest on, I like to oil it. So put like olive oil in a, I don't know what else to call it other than like a ketchup dispenser. Like you see at cafes, mm-hmm. you know, on the tables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I swirl some olive oil on it and oh, I, I see. pour the sauce on mm-hmm. and then I'll throw on, like if we're putting on vegetables or cheese or something, and then I put the meat on top and then stick that in the oven. That makes sense, you know, because I think that a lot of the tomato sauces here are made by combining fat and tomato. So they will, um, Italians will put some oh. fat in a pan, whether it be olive oh. oil or traditionally lardo or lard, you know, they would have actually kind of mashed the lardo up and then put tomatoes in the pan or, or passata, sieve tomatoes in the pan and then put um, a little bit of garlic or some herbs in and cooked it down for half an hour. So it kind of makes sense that you want to put fat on your pizza before you put your sauce on because that's traditionally how it was, um, you know, I guess that was instinctively done because it tasted better because of the fat. Yeah, I literally don't know why I started doing that. I just thought to myself one day that it would be a good idea. But I think that's like you with your beer when you talked about and and the booze and stuff like that when you just do something over and over and over and over and over, you start to really refine your process and you know yeah. exactly what you like and you know why, like what you don't like. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And obviously that works for you. I've never tried the essential oils in it. I'd like to, to try that to see what it tastes like. I, I sometimes um, take tomato concentrate, which is really good mm. here. And sometimes, you know, put a little bit in an egg cup and put some water with it. So I end up with a tomato sauce that's not as t- as liquidy as it would be if it was yeah. passata. So I can get that really concentrated flavor on top yes. of it without all of the, the wetness as well. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's, more, it's not really a sauce. It's kind of a, a spread, more like a pesto. I've put pesto on pizza too as well. I've oh done green gosh, pizzas that. quite a lot, oh. which is so really good. nice. Um, I made a walnut one. Um, that, I think that was our favourite. I made a walnut pesto um, with oh basil from the goodness. garden and spread that on the top. I think that last year that was voted as our, our favourite green um, pizza. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say about the oil in that I don't put oil on before I put my toppings on, but I always put oil on after it's cooked. So I put mm-hmm. it on the dish that it's going to the table on and I'll get the olive oil and I'll pour it, you know, in kind of circles over the pizza and then by the time I get to cutting it all the oil has magically disappeared it's obviously soaked into the dough oh my gosh but it doesn't you know oil never runs off it and yet I put quite a lot on mm-hmm. and I think that adds to the flavor oh I'm so gonna do that next time I'll try that I'll try that you should try some with some lard or lardo because um 
that's um okay, i got a really you... <laughs> yeah <laughs> are you melting the lardo and drizzling it on or are you putting like pieces of lardo on you have to explain. no so i'm cutting so the lardo is the cured pork fat which is kind of like baconish you know in consistency okay. so i'm slicing it as thinly as i can and then laying it on the top of the pizza like you would prosciutto i would guess you know or some mm. sort of ham and then it shrivels up and um releases all the fat from itself into the pizza so it tastes amazing and it kind of you end up with concentrated salty fatty bits on the top of the pizza which is quite heavenly <laughs> you don't have to sell me on it Alison you had me at like bacon <laughs> but I've got a funny story to tell you which um oh, let's hear it. Is, is kind of a confessional I know that we were thinking of Even doing better. a um I know that we were thinking of doing a kitchen disasters episode <laughs> and uh, this possibly yeah. this would definitely fit into the kitchen disasters episode um so the first time that we made a pizza with our own lardo on we um, we tried to cut the lardo <laughs> as thinly as possible, but it's really hard, as you know, to cut any form yeah. of kind of bacon yes. or lard thinly. And I it was is. a bit extravagant. We cut it a bit too thickly and I put a bit too much on. So then we put it in the oven. Everything was absolutely, seemed absolutely fine. And then Gable turns around and says, Mama, the oven's on fire. <gasps> oh. <laughs> and I looked at the oven and what had happened... Was the lard, the lard had lardo released fat and there'd been yeah. some divot around the edge of the crust and it had gone through there off onto the pizza stone, off the pizza stone to the bottom of the oven. And the bottom of the oven was so hot that it had spontaneously ignited. Alison, you're taking wood-fired pizza at home a little too another. Too yeah, exactly. So Gabriel got completely like spooked. He was like, oh my God, the oven's on fire, the oven's on fire. Was it... And, like you could see it inside the oven yeah. burning or was it like you could oh you could gosh. see like a light at the bottom of the oven underneath the pizza a light okay, but, like was, a flame. but was the pizza did it have like those little blackened you know pieces yeah that you yeah were... no it had it had it was black around the edges it was really once we put the fire out everything was fine but it was a bit touch and go think... rob was like rob, rob was really good he was like okay just we need to take everything electric unplug everything you know, take everything oh electric gosh. off the top of the fire of the thing, and he moved it away from the edge of the wall. Yeah, because you the set cooker. your things on top. You use it like a counter. Exactly, we use it you? as a counter. So we took yeah. everything off, took it away from the wall. <laughs> Meantime, Gabriel had run downstairs and gone out the back door because he was so freaked out. I said to him, "I said it's fine. It, it was getting slower and slower. You know, lower and lower. So I was like, it's uh -huh, burning itself uh -huh. out. It's only got enough fuel. You know, to yeah. to yeah. when the fuel yeah. runs out, that's it. So." It was fine. We were all fine. The <laughs> oven was fine. The house was a bit smoky for a while. The pizza was fine. Oh it had like the, the, the black hey. bits around the outside. Tasted absolutely great. I will not put so much lard on my pizza next time. I have learned my lesson. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't sound bad though. You know what, Allison? This is not pizza related, but when you're saying that, like Gabriel running out the door, it, it reminded me that when... um. I just can't believe you made a wood-fired pizza at home. I don't think the fire marshal would approve. Um, when we lived in Virginia and somebody lived upstairs of us, then we were sitting downstairs. Jacob was asleep in bed. I was pregnant with Camille and we're just, mm. you know, visiting. Sit, uh, we're, I think we're watching Netflix or something like that. And then um, we hear upstairs, fire, 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 like no. running. And Gary's like, oh my gosh. So he bolts out the back door, taking a fire extinguisher as he goes up, up to the neighbors. He's pounding on their door. I grab the baby and like run across the street to my friend Agnes's house I'm like you gotta take Jacob the house is on fire and she's like what it was really late at night but I run back to the house and Gary comes downstairs and he goes 
they said that they were just like regaling each other with stories you know like mm. telling about things that happened it's <laughs> Oh. He's like they're really sorry for scaring us. Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. Oh. You're just like, oh, I'm just really glad there's not a real fire. Yeah, yeah. But I can just gosh. see that you're sitting downstairs telling me this and there's a fire in the oven. Yeah, yeah. It was. Gabriel was really oh freaked. But yeah, it was fine. And you know, the the pizzas are really high temperature. The last thing that I had on my list to talk about was cooking them, you know, and and like I said, our we put our oven at 250C, but we used to put it at 300C when we had the integral pizza stone. Yeah. But I looked up other ovens and I know that there are, you can buy electric pizza ovens and you can buy, there's even one called, a, it's called Rock Box, I think, which is a restaurant quality standalone electric pizza oven. And they go up to the most astounding temperatures. The, the, the Rock Box, the restaurant quality one, says on the uh-huh. on the information that it goes up to 500c which is 932f jeez that's just incredible jeez i think your pizza would be cooked in like a minute i mean my pizza's in my legal. oven at home <laughs> i set Good the timer grief. on my pizza for eight minutes so at 250 it generally takes between eight and ten minutes when i went yeah. to the wood-fired oven and watched my pizzas go in the wood-fired oven they were probably about four minutes I don't know what wow. temperature that was. Yeah, um, I know quick. the pizza it's ovens can be, you know, five hundred, can be five hundred yeah. degrees C. Um, but um, yeah, the higher it goes, the, the shorter time it takes to cook, which is better because that's more likely to give you the kind of crust and and middle bit that you want. But obviously, don't don't start a fire in your oven. You know, don't yeah, <laughs> don't do what I did. <laughs> but all that to say, there's. <laughs> There's really no wrong way to make a pizza. Um, There's lots of different ways to do it. Like if you don't have a stone, don't let that stop you um, at all. Just carry on. And I, I heard somebody in a, give a talk recently where they were talking about, did I tell you about this, Allison? They were talking Mm. about how they gave, um, it was some kind of a study, right? So they gave two groups an assignment. One group had an assignment. They said, I want you to make this pottery you know, pitcher and here's, you know, the exact instructions you need. Here's, you know, the ratio Mm -hmm. of the golden mean. And here's that, like everything you need to know to make the perfect pot, just make one and make it perfect. So those students all produced one pot or whatever. And then they told another group, you know, we want you to make 30 pots and then just bring us your best one. And they said, hands down, the students who did the 30 pots, the one that they ended up producing was so much better because it was just a matter of learning and doing and learning and doing. And so often in the kitchen, we don't do it because we're like, I can't do it perfectly. I just don't know how to do it the right way. But if you just made even a pizza that flops, it's still delicious. No, I totally agree. When I started doing sourdough, I was just making, I didn't have a pizza stone. I had a really rubbish oven that I bought for like 30 pounds from a, from a secondhand Mm -hmm. store. And, um, I had a baking tray that was old and yet I still made really good pizza. I remember yeah. just before we left England, I think it was Gabriel's fourth birthday and he had his little friend over and um, I'd seen a pizza with um, a sweet potato, fresh coriander and pear on it. And I, he uh-huh. said, oh, can I have this one? So we did that and we did a tomato one as well. 
And they were just on baking trays and they were absolutely delicious. Man. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if they can sell a frozen all. pizza that comes in a plastic bag and all it's, you know, three frozen pepperonis are falling down into one corner, you can make a pizza. <laughs> like, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I don't think necessarily the pizza stone is the be all and end all. I know that Ellie um, of Ellie's Every Day, who we've had on the podcast before and mm-hmm. on the Patreon feed, she doesn't use a stone and she's. Yeah. As everyone knows, she's a huge sourdough baker. She uses a, oh, yeah. a like a screen, and I know that people on yeah. forums that I've seen, you know, use these screens that have kind of a wire mesh on the bottom, yeah. which is open, used, so the air I've can circulate. Have you used them? How did it go? Yeah, was the pizza good? Well, when we stayed at um, my cousin's house, they had a pizza pan like that, and it was great. Mm. It was fine. Yeah, I think so, that's yeah. Easier there's than all the pizza kinds stem. of different ways, and. And, you know, you can basically cook it on a hot rock by campfire. <laughs> like, yeah. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why flatbreads have been so part of our history for so long, because often, mm-hmm. you know, that's the only way you could cook bread on a campfire. Oh, because and there was speaking no other of flatbreads, you know? mm. um, the Teff pancakes are in Jira, of course. Oh, in Jira. Why didn't we <laughs> think of that? We put know. that in the title. I don't know. I can just imagine everyone going back then, oh, it's in Jira. Come on. Like, hello, everyone. Yeah, everyone's in the living room like, hello. <laughs> Before we finish pizza, I wanted to talk about one little type of pizza that we had when we were on gaps. Because I know that some oh. people listening are kind of, you know, either doing gaps for themselves or um, for mm-hmm. members of their family. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, you have to give up pizza. Obviously, there are flowers, yeah. coconut flour that you can use on gaps. And I know that Hilary Boynton's book has... A recipe certainly for um, tortillas made with coconut flour. I remember that. But um, mm. Joe Witten, who runs Quirky Cooking in Australia, um, uh-huh. introduced me to the idea of a pizza when we were doing gaps. Ooh. And I remember thinking, this isn't going to work. And it did. And it, what it is, is it's um, beef mince, which you just pack together to make a base so you shape it into the shape oh. of a base and you sort of squidge it together so it's, you know, fairly dense. And that's the base of your pizza. And then you can top it with whatever you want. I remember back then we would do, you know, tomatoes and onions and that kind of thing. And it comes out so well. I think she's probably got a recipe for it on her okay. site. You can look it up. Um, but the, the meat kind of sticks together and you can slice it and it tastes really good. So if um, people listening aren't into grains or know someone who's not into grains, and I remember feeling how special it was at the time because we'd not had any grains for for so long, and yet we had this pizza. And I think we did it for our anniversary, our wedding anniversary. And it was just wonderful. And I think that, um, I think even when we started back on grains in Penzance, I did it once because I enjoyed it so much, the taste. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a kind of a... Quite an eclectic pizza, but one that's really tasty and, and works really well if you're if yeah. you're not grain eating. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she's got great, great resources out there for people. So Yeah, no, I agree. She's a she's she's been around in my life for a long time. I remember listening to her podcast many, many years ago. Um, were um, you gonna say something? Don't don't let's go yeah. without what were you gonna say about Nutella? 
Oh, that was on my thing. So, okay. I'm really curious. <laughs> that, that'll be me stepping up on my soapbox now. Um, mm, yeah, please. You saw that in my notes. Um, so, yeah, sweet pizzas are a thing. You know, you don't have to necessarily okay. stick with savoury. You can have sweet pizzas. And um, putting Nutella on pizza is a, a kind of a thing here in Italy. And um, I just... Nutella is not a brand that I really like particularly I've done some research really? on on how they work and not just from the ingredients which oh. I know that um the guy who's got food lies on Instagram has posted some kind of infographics about what's actually in Nutella um but mainly because um Gola did a podcast on it the hazelnuts really? the demand for hazelnuts which has come from the ridiculous use of Nutella because Nutella has mar- been marketed really to Italian families as kind of nutritious and this is what you're supposed to give to your child in the morning and it's always been this way and, and of course it's not. Wait, it's just wait, food marketing. Na- did you just say Nutella has been marketed as nutritious? Yeah, it's kind of homely, kind of, you know, that kind wow. of feeling of homely no and it's idea. nuts and it's chocolate. But the um, but it's like 50% sugar. I know. <laughs> And the demand okay. for for hazelnuts because of Nutella production is has led to monocropping throughout Italy, oh. you know, and some other fields that should have been dedicated to other um, to other products, to other grow growing other things, have just been handed over to hazelnuts. And as we know, the um, reduction crop. of biodiversity is not a good thing for for land or the environment or no. anyone really. And then it's also Does Nutella been... all come from Italy? No, not all from Italy because there's such a demand oh. for it. They've outsourced it to other areas like Turkey. So Turkey, the people in Turkey are now growing hazelnuts oh. for Nutella. And they've been involved in the past. I don't know whether they still are now, so don't mm. quote me, but I believe they are in basically slave labor that you know they're having illegal in the show notes (laughs) immigrants working for them (laughs) people who were paid appallingly to work oh my gosh on hazelnut plantations that are just basically ousting the indigenous crops that would have been there or the crops that the people who live there want to grow and it's just an absolute nightmare so please don't buy nutella um i actually they sell huge like giant containers of it at the big box, whatever you call them, stores here like Costco. I mm. never had Nutella until I was actually in university. And it was my Italian professor who introduced me mm. to it. Um, I just had it there. And and she was, um, she was a really good teacher, but she was showing us how she makes bread because she mm. was basically teaching us in Italian. And then she said that she eats it with Nutella and served mm. it and everybody had it with Nutella. And I was like, wow. It's, this is it's like- absolutely just... <laughs> so I mean it's and part it never of culture here it's weaved me. into culture it's here. it's so sweet that it was uh, like it was it's like frosting basically yeah, so I feel um, like that. it yeah. never occurred to me that someone would market it as a nutritious yeah um, it's kind food. of wholesome and something you can give your kids hmm. that um will kind of keep them going etc but you can it, make did you it can originate make... in Italy I think oh, I remember reading all the details of it about a year ago and being outraged. Oh. <laughs> but oh, I no. think it did. <laughs> it was. I think it's a. It might be the Ferrero brand. I think it's Ferrero, and oh, he saw the market do those, for like, it. Chocolates, like yeah, that's right. They do Ferrero Rocher yeah. chocolates. Um, so I think oh. it's Mr. Ferrero, or uh, you know, some 
grandparent of Mr. Ferreira, who basically saw this possibility to market it and then has been able to market it so well that it's just ubiquitous here. Um, so yeah, you can make you can make a substitute if you wish. If you want to buy nut, if you want to buy hazelnuts from somewhere that is making hazelnuts in a nice way, that's growing hazelnuts in a nice way, you can mix them with raw cacao. You can add in a bit of honey. Yeah. You can add in really nice cocoa powder, and you can make your own Nutella that's not sickly sweet and doesn't include ridiculous palm oil and and you know white oh my sugar. Gosh. Of course, it has palm oil in it. Um, yeah. yeah, I've seen, and uh, I think it was on Azure's website, they had some sort of like a chocolate nut type spread, which I assumed was like a Nutella mm. knockoff type thing mm. of a slightly healthier nature. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's a sweet, you know, it's not like you're going to it for your, um, you know, staple, but if you're going to have dessert, might as well be a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. And and the difference in flavor is amazing. If you find someone who's really cared oh, about yeah what they're making so um mm -hmm. yeah so that that's my that's thing awesome. about nutella I'll, I'll finish that <laughs> i'll finish that wow okay oh, yeah i was just now. curious because so okay so i guess my question is do they do they they put it on pizza like yeah we were in a restaurant once that? about a year oh. maybe two year and a half ago two years ago um, when we were trying to move and we had a disaster and we went to a restaurant and had some food and at the end of the meal, because we had a little boy with us, obviously Gabriel, the pizzaiolo who was there, the man who was making pizza in front of everyone, made this tiny sort of mini pizza, smothered oh. it in Nutella and put it in front of Gabriel without <laughs> asking us or anything, thinking oh that God. we would really approve and it would be wonderful. And he could eat like literally half a jar of Nutella was on his pizza. Oh and God. I was not so happy about it <laughs> no 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 yeah I think usually I feel like people are pretty good about asking the parents first yeah um, no it just appeared I mean what if he had a deathly allergy to hazelnuts to nuts. Or something? yeah um but I mean the the chef was trying to be kind I, yeah I he, he was a lovely that. man um, you know it was a nice restaurant yeah of course of course just and yeah I forget I forget um, sometimes okay, so when I don't go pizza. out I forget sometimes mm -hmm. when I when I don't go out that I live differently to most of the world. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We live in a bubble. Yeah, know. it's easy to live in it. I was saying that to someone earlier in the week. I was interviewing someone for a future podcast. And mm -hmm. um, at the end of it, she said, yeah, I, I live in my bubble. And, and I go out and I realize that I'm in a bubble. But I like my yeah. bubble. And I like my bubble too. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. um, that Nutella thing made me remember a couple mm. other flatbreads that we didn't mention, which is like oh, crepes okay. and pancakes. Because oh, I've yes, seen buckwheat. a really popular thing is crepes with Nutella, like rolled yeah. up. Yeah. I've seen that on lots of menus. So Yeah, no, that's a that's hmm. a big thing. I remember in um going to um northern France and having buckwheat crepes quite a long time ago and it was very nice. They were very nice. Huh. I think we should well, defer well. to Aaron, Chef Aaron for that, because he's yeah. the concentric circle pancake crepe man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> who can just make them so thin and so beautiful, but um, one day he will come here and make me some teff and some crepes. Yes, he will. <laughs> well, is there anything else pizza-wise that we wanted to get on here? Oh, I don't think I feel like so. We covered the gamut. Yeah, no, I think we have yeah. too. I think we did it in in quite good time, considering record time. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to make pizza though. I really want to make pizza. <laughs> then go do it. That's did what you I say. say yeah. I think so. I think I will. Did you say you're spelt 
Christ recipe was on your yeah. blog? Okay. Yeah, it is. It's linked to my link tree if anyone's on Instagram as well. So you can okay, find good. it quite easily. Um, and, we'll, and it's very we'll nice. We'll put it in the show notes too for you guys. Wonderful. And if anyone makes it, send me a picture. If you, if you uh, can get a picture yes. taken before it all goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck. Pizza is the one food like I never get pictures of pizza because you eat it instantly. <laughs> oh, you try. I, I try with Gabriel to take a picture before he wants to eat it. And it's quite hard sometimes. <laughs> He's like, yeah. no, I want to yeah. eat it. I want to eat it. <laughs> get a picture so, yeah, of the empty pan. Well, it was good. I promise. It looked really good cool before we started. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, Alison, shall we, shall we wrap up for the day and then yes. get back together later? Cool. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Thank you very All much, right. Andrea. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Thank you.